Welcome again to Bible study this evening. It's great that you're listening in. I think I've said it a few times, but I want to encourage you to keep on uh, listening in to these Bible studies and the things we're doing midweek as a church. Uh, it's important that we give ourselves as individuals to God's word, uh, to read his word and hear what he's saying to us. But it's also important that we give ourselves uh, to God's word together as his body. Regarding the current regulations and restrictions, it doesn't like look like things are going to be changing anytime soon. Uh, so I just remind you it's important to continue uh, together to come around God's word so that we can hear uh, from our Lord and grow together as his people. This evening we are back in the book of Daniel. This is the, the final time we're going to be uh, doing Bible studies in the book of Daniel. This evening we're doing the fourth and final vision in the second half of the book uh, and we're going to cover chapters 10 to 12 this evening. So we've got uh, rather quite a lot to do. Uh, the reason we're doing three chapters this evening is these three chapters are a, a whole vision. They're the, they're the fourth vision. So we're going to cover them all at once. Uh, because we're doing three chapters, there's lots of details in there that we may not cover but what I want to try and do is give you an outline for these three chapters uh, and if you look on your handout you'll see I've put some bullet points there and divided it up to give you a, a broad overview uh, of the, the outline of the, the final vision and then at the end of each chapter we'll look at each chapter in turn so chapter 10, chapter 11 and then chapter 12 uh, and at the end of each chapter we'll, we'll think a little bit about application and then there'll be some questions on your handout to think through applications further. So before we begin, let's pause and pray together and ask for God's help. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray for us as your people that you would help us or give us hearts that are receptive to your word. Father, help us uh, to come humbly to your word, uh, to hear your voice uh, and to turn in repentance and faith. Dear Lord, we thank you that your word is awesome, that it's powerful. We thank you that through your word, you strengthen our faith. You feed us, you nourish us, you make us strong. So we pray this evening as we come to these final chapters in the book of Daniel, Dear Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what you're saying to us and help us, Lord, to live in light of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So this book of Daniel is written so that we will keep believing that Jesus is king, even when everything around us says that he's not. Almost every chapter of the book has shown us that God is building his eternal kingdom, and all people are called to live in light of that fact. And as we come to this final vision, we're going to see that again this evening. This final vision is, is the longest of the four visions uh, by far. And like the other visions, it comes in two parts. There's a, a revelation, uh, and then alongside the revelation, there's a message or an interpretation that brings understanding. And as we uh, turn to chapter 10, we meet a man with a message about a great 
war. That's chapter 10, a man with a message about a great war. Before we uh, dive into chapter 10, maybe good to pause here and just read uh, through that first section, chapter 10, verse 1 to chapter 11, verse 1, and then we'll think it through together. Okay, in these first uh, three verses of chapter 10, we have the setting for the vision. We're told, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Remember, Daniel, he's uh, living in exile. He's been living in exile most of his life. But in the last chapter, chapter 9, when we saw him praying, he was contemplating the end of exile. That was the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. It was during the first year of the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the declaration went out for the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt and for the exiles to be to return. Uh, so here, at the start of this fourth vision, we're in the third year, so it's after that proclamation uh, for the exiles to return. But remember, in chapter 9, Daniel's also been told that the return from exile wasn't going to uh, bring in the, the restoration of all things. Uh, the history of God's people was actually going to go, go on far longer than that. Not 70 years, God told him, but 77s. And so now, as God's people are preparing, preparing to return to Jerusalem, and probably uh, some have begun to return, Daniel has this fourth vision. And it says there in verse 1 that it's a message, its message was true, and it concerned a great war. I've already said that these visions, Daniel, has seemed to come in two parts. And that's the case here. There seems to be a message uh, and then there's a gap, and three weeks later, he seems to get an interpretation uh, of the message. And the gap between the message and the interpretation, in, on this instance, seems to be three weeks. Verse 2, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Daniel gets a revelation from God and it sends him into a state of mourning. There's no food, there's no drink. He even holds back on the lotions, not sure whether they were some kind of skincare product uh, to make himself look healthy. But it's clear from verse 12 uh, that what he's doing during these three weeks is he's humbling himself before God. Uh, he's praying uh, and he's seeking to understand the message that he's received. And unlike his prayer in verse in chapter 10, which was answered almost immediately, here in chapter 10, there is a delay. He, he is praying for, for three weeks before he receives an answer. That's not because God has not heard his prayer. Verse 12 tells us that God heard his prayer the very first day when he began to pray. But it's only 21 days later that he, ha he has a vision. And this vision helps him understand the message, the true message about the great war. But before we get on to the content of the message, uh, first of all, chapter 10 draws our attention to the man who brings the message. Listen to how he's described. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. 
with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Who is this man who Daniel meets in the vision? Well, I think when we turn to Revelation 1, we get an answer. Listen to this description in Revelation chapter 1. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze we find in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Who is the one speaking in Revelation chapter 1? Well, John goes on to write, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the death-conquering Christ. And it's this one who appears uh, to Daniel in this final vision. And Daniel responds in two ways. First of all, he's overwhelmed uh, and then he's reassured. So in verse 7 to 9, you see words like terror, no strength left, face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Daniel is utterly overwhelmed by this man in the vision. But then in verse 10 to 14, The man goes on to to speak to Daniel. He raises him to his feet. He tells him he's highly esteemed. And he calls him to consider the words that he's about to speak. And as the Christ speaks to Daniel, it's though he he draws back the curtain a bit and lets Daniel see something of this great war that's going on. He explains to Daniel why it's been three weeks before he's received an answer to his prayer. The Christ says, I've come in response to your prayer. But then in verse 13, he explains to Daniel why the answer has taken three weeks. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Here, uh, it's amazing, Daniel gets a, a glimpse into the spiritual realm. Behind the rise of the kingdom of Persia, there were great spiritual realities that were opposed to God. And the amazing thing is that through his prayers, Daniel had entered into this great spiritual battle. The Lord has come in response to Daniel's prayers. Says verse 14, now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So as Daniel uh, meets the Christ, he's overwhelmed, and then he's reassured that the Lord has brought an answer. And then in verses 15 uh, to the end of the chapter, he's overwhelmed and then reassured again. Verse 15, Daniel's uh, back on the ground. His face is bowed towards the floor. He can't even speak, and then the Lord gives him strength to speak and he says i am overcome with anguish because of the vision my lord and i feel very weak verse 17 how can i your servant talk with you my lord my strength is gone and i can hardly breathe in the presence of the lord daniel is overwhelmed 
But again, there comes reassurance. Verses 18 and 19 are tender and touching verses. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and he gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now, be strong. And then the Lord explains uh, again why he's come to Daniel. He says, do you know why I've come? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. The Lord has come with a message about a great war. He's come to explain what's going to happen uh, to his people in the future. And he's come to tell Daniel what he's written in the book of truth. And as he does that, Daniel gets a glimpse into a great uh, spiritual war that's going on. Daniel gets a kind of behind the curtain uh, look at what brings about the rise and fall of kingdoms. And as he reads God's word and as he prays, he enters into that spiritual battle. Before we move on to chapter 11, let's just think through some of the applications here from chapter 10. First of all, in chapter 10, as I've said, we get a glimpse uh, into a great spiritual battle. Right from Genesis uh, 3, this battle has been raging. In the Genesis 3, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Now we know this is a battle in which Christ has conquered. Through his death and his resurrection, he has defeated Satan. But while Christ is conquered, it is also clear in the New Testament that his enemies are not yet destroyed and they continue to rage against his rule. Paul writes about this spiritual battle in Ephesians. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And Daniel, through his reading of the Bible and through his response to God's word in prayer, has been caught up into that spiritual battle. And the same is true for us as, as God's children. When we receive his word and believe what he says and respond uh, in prayer, we too become a part of this great spiritual battle. And while we cannot fully understand what this engagement or participation means or exactly how God uses our prayers, it is clear here from Daniel 10 that our prayers are part of that battle. And Daniel is serious in prayer, isn't he? He's humble in prayer. Just look again at verse 2. This chapter also makes clear that if Daniel is going to stand in this spiritual battle, uh, he's going to need the strength of the Lord. In this chapter, Daniel is, is very weak. He's, he's overwhelmed, and yet it's the words from the Lord, it's the touch of the Lord that gives him strength to stand. And so for us, as we read our Bibles, as we grow in our understanding of God's will and purposes, and then as we turn to pray, let's remember that we are in a spiritual battle. Prayer is a serious thing and we need to depend uh, upon the Lord who gives us strength.
So that's chapter 10, uh, The Man with a Message About a Great War. And then let's uh, look briefly at chapter 11. In chapter 11, we're going to see that this man rules the details of the Great War. Maybe again, just pause the recording and read through chapter 11. Okay, uh, chapter 11. Uh, it's still the Lord speaking, this glorious man who's appeared to Daniel. And as he speaks, he gives lots of details about the Great War. And remember, these details concern both the earthly realities, but also the spiritual realities that lie behind what we see unfolding uh, on the stage of this world. So in verses 2 to 4, uh, the Lord talks about the rise of Persia uh, and then the rise of Greece. Remember, the Lord himself has just talked about fighting against the prince of Persia and the coming of the prince of Greece. And some of this, uh, some of the details of this period of history were covered uh, back in chapter 8. It's the rise of the Persian Empire uh, and then the rise of uh, the Greek Empire. The mighty king in verse 3 is Alexander the Great and after him uh, his empire is divided to the four winds. Uh, there is four generals who come after him. But this is all future to Daniel and it reminds him that the man who is speaking to him is the one who rules the details of the great war. In verses 5 to 20, uh, the labels then switch from Persia and Greece to the king of the south and the king of the north. And although the reference is singular there, it's clear as you read through uh, that this is going to be a, a series of successive kings to the south and successive kings to the north. But behind those kings will lie great spiritual realities. But history remembers one of Alexander's generals as Ptolemy. His dynasty was set up in the south in Egypt. Uh, then to the north there is the Seleucids, a series of kings to the north. And if you read through verses 5 to 20 you will see that the king of the north and the king of the south seem to be continually at war with one another for generation after generation. And if you went online uh, and Google these verses, uh, you'd be able to trace some of the the history uh, and map it to the details described here. But what is worth noticing between these two warring kings to the north and to the south, right in the middle uh, lies the, the land of Israel, Jerusalem, described in verse 16 as the beautiful land. But then in verse uh, 20 to 35, the spotlight seems to zoom in on one particular king. This again is a king we've already met in Daniel, uh, not described by name, uh, but we saw him described in chapter 8 as a cunning and deceitful king. Here in verse 21, he's described as a contemptible person who has not been given the honour of royalty. History remembers this man as Antiochus Epiphanes. Here in chapter 11, uh, 15 verses are devoted to him from verses 21 to 35. And I think the reason uh, so many verses are given to him is that this man really is the embodiment of a spirit of opposition to God's rule. He's the, the spirit, if you will, of the Antichrist. Uh, words that are used of him are contemptible, cunning, evil, lies. He's set against the Holy Covenant. 
as you read about his dealings, he seems to be driven uh, by ambition and the desire for power and control. He will do anything to conquer. Marriage is used as a bargaining chip. People are betrayed. This king Antiochus also continues uh, to wage war uh, on the king of the south. Uh, and then on, on return from war with king of the south on one occasion, uh, verse 28, uh, he plunders Jerusalem. Verse 28, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. And history remembers uh, on one occasion when Antiochus returned uh, from waging war against Egypt, he, he plundered the temple in Jerusalem. And then a little while later, there was a, a second invasion of Egypt. And this time Antiochus was humiliated. As Antiochus was besieging Alexandria in Egypt, he was confronted by uh, a Roman consul called Gaius Papilius Laenus, who demanded that he with withdraw from Egypt. Uh, and when Antiochus hesitated, uh, the Roman consul drew a, a circle uh, in the sand around him and demanded his answer uh, before he left the circle. Humiliated and furious, Antiochus had to comply. These are the events that are referred to in verses 29 and 30. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. The ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, that's Rome, uh, and he will lose heart. That's Antiochus having to go home with his tail between his legs. But as he travels back uh, from Egypt in the south, back to Syria, his home in the north, notice what he does. Verse 30, then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favour to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. As Antiochus travels back from Egypt to Syria, he desecrates the temple in Jerusalem. He offers a sacrifice uh, to Zeus on the altar and he persecutes God's people. And during that time, there were those in Jerusalem who were won over by the favour Antiochus would show them uh, and by his flattery. Uh, but there were also those who, despite the persecution, stood firm. And those who stood firm are described in verses 32 to 35. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or be captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Someone has described Daniel as both a happy book and a sad and scary book. The first half of the book is, is like the happy book, even though God's people face opposition. Uh, there's rescue from the lion's den, from the furnace, from Nebuchadnezzar's rage. But the second half of the book with these visions is a, a sad and a scary book. In this half of the book, uh, people don't get rescued. They get chewed up and spit out by beastly human power. 
And there were those in Jerusalem who knew their God, who who would not fall for the flattery or bow the knee to the power-hungry Antiochus. And what happened to them? They fell by the sword. They were burned. They were captured. They were plundered. But through all of that, they were also refined and purified and made spotless until the time of the end. How were these people able to stand in such stressful times? Well, the second half of verse 32 tells us, But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. People who know that God rules and he's building an everlasting kingdom and live in light of that fact. Such people will stand. And this chapter uh, is really here to help us be such people. As we see that this man who's speaking to Daniel the Christ is the one who rules the details of history. Here, the Christ is giving Daniel uh, the, uh, the detailed history of the, the centuries that are going to follow. And did you see it keeps saying in those times, at the appointed time, at the appointed time. Christ rules all of the details of this great war. And those who trust him will be people who stand and resist the God-opposing antichrists whenever they appear in history. So that's the contemptible king Antiochus. And again, if you want to flesh out some of those details that are there, uh, you can Google uh, and, and link up the details that are in verses 20 to 35 to the reign of Antiochus. And then there were just these final verses in chapter 11, uh, verses 36 uh, to 45. Who is this king? Well, on first reading, it just seems to be an extended description of the contemptible king, Antiochus Epiphanes. And that may be the case, although from what I understand, the details of uh, 36 to 45 don't fit uh, anywhere near as well with his reign. We also begin to get references here to the end. So verse 35, they'll be made spotless until the time of the end. Verse 40 again, at the king, at the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. In verses 36 to 45, we have a description of a very proud king. A, again, a God-opposing king. It says he will magnify himself above every other god and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. And in verses 40 to 45, we have a description of a, a great war that seems to draw in uh, many countries around about. I think what is happening in these final verses of chapter 11 is that the perspective is shifting a little bit from from Antiochus the God opposing antichrist type ruler there in the second century BC to antichrist in general throughout history and particularly uh, to a final uh, ruler who will oppose God and his people and as at the end, when the war wages in the spiritual realm, so it will do on the earthly stage as well. But the point for us here to remember is that as God's people, whatever period in history we live in, whatever stressful times we face, we must remember that the Lord is the one who rules. Jesus Christ is, is the man who rules the details of the great battle. He's the one who has conquered and the people who know their God will firmly resist uh, the God-opposing human rule of their day. 
Do you remember what the Lord Jesus uh, said to his disciples? He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Okay, now finally, on to chapter 12. In chapter 12, uh, this man uh, that Daniel is speaking to, or this man that's speaking to Daniel, uh, promises resurrection at the end of the Great War. So listen to these resurrection promises. At that time, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. This describes the great opposition and persecution that God's people may face in every age. It describes what happened there under the reign of Antiochus for God's people in Jerusalem. Particularly, it describes the persecution uh, that will be there in those closing uh, scenes of world history. But listen to the good news that the Lord speaks to Daniel. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name found, who is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Roll up this and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Even as the great battle wages, and even as in that battle God's people face persecution and oppression, there will come a day of full and final deliverance. There will come a day of, of resurrection. Did you notice there at the resurrection, it won't just be uh, God's people that will be raised, but all people will be raised some will be raised to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt here we see the big picture and the big picture encompasses resurrection that time when god's rule and kingdom that's already begun uh, with the death and resurrection of jesus christ will one day uh, be brought to completion and it's that big picture uh, that encompasses the resurrection that is going to keep us living faithfully as God's children now, even when we face opposition uh, and temptation to compromise. And those who are wise, those who are wise like Daniel is wise, will continue uh, to trust God, continue to live under his rule until that great day of resurrection. Verse 10 says, Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked, None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And as this man pronounces to Daniel uh, the promise of resurrection, uh, there's then a question in verse 5. This question is, is put uh, to the Lord by two other people who are standing on either side of the bank of the river Tigris where Daniel's having this vision. One of them uh, asks that great biblical question, how long how long will it be before all these astonishing things are fulfilled? And the reply of, of the Lord is, it will be for times, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. We have a parallel verse in, in verse 11 uh, that says a similar thing. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be a 1,290 days. I 
think we're meant to understand here that the period of opposition is set. The Lord will not allow proud human rule that persecutes his people to go on forever. It's limited. And then in verse 12, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. That's just a little bit longer than the the period of, of opposition and persecution. Blessed is the one who perseveres and continues uh, to live wisely and fear God with their eyes on the resurrection. And the encouragement for Daniel in this fabulous final verse, as he asks for more clarity, the Lord says to him, as for you, go your way till the end, you will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What a great book Daniel is, isn't it? To help us live wisely as God's people in a world that is opposed to him. We have seen through the book that God is able to deliver his people in remarkable and miraculous ways. But here at the end of the book, uh, we see that really the full and the final deliverance that is promised to all of God's people is nothing less than the resurrection where we will rule with him forever. Jesus Christ is king and we must keep believing that even when everything we see around us tells us that he's not. God is building his forever kingdom and we and all people are called to live in light of that fact. If you've made it this far in the study, well done. Uh, It's been a long study this evening, three chapters But I'm sure you'll agree this book of Daniel is a great book for us. There are some more uh, questions on your handout. Uh, Please work through those and think through some more of the applications uh, from these three chapters. Let me pray and then we'll finish. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us again tonight. We ask for your help as we continue to think over what you're saying to us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people no matter what we face, who live faithfully looking to Jesus. Lord, plant in us the deep and firm conviction that you are the one who rules this world and that you are the one to whom we should give our allegiance. Help us, Lord, uh, to follow you closely and to help others see that Jesus is the King. In his name we pray. Amen.